0: Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit SozoSMTX.com. Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? You guys look beautiful today. Better than I do, for sure. Uh, I'm super, super honored to be here this morning. Uh, Some of you guys know me. Many of you guys don't. My name's Jarrett. Uh, I have been running with, this, with the family here in San Marcos for about three and a half years. Uh, I met Dustin as a student in college. I didn't realize how much it would change my life, but uh, he introduced me to Joel and Steve, and I saw what God was doing here. I wanted to be a part. Moved a few, few years ago. I've had the pleasure of uh, helping with our college students. From that point on, I also work uh, in tech at, with a tech company in San Francisco. But I'm super honored to uh, speak into you guys' life because when I think of Sozo, you all are just like a room full of legends and warriors and, and fathers and mothers uh, in the spirit. So I'm always extremely honored uh, that, that I get to speak into you guys, especially coming off of the heels of Shane's incredible message last week. Did anyone enjoy Shane? <laughs> He was, he was awesome. I'm, gonna, um, I'm just going to point out the elephant in the room. Did anyone notice how big Shane's arms were last week? Like, those things, those things are massive. I was like, man, he, he escaped prison, but he's still prison swole. He is. He is. Dude's, dude is swole. Um, so we're going to just jump right in this morning. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I found myself in a very intense... Uh, situation. I was actually uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, we didn't know it at the time, but I was caught in what they would eventually call uh, the 10,000-year flood. It had a 1 in 10,000-year chance happening. I was there on the weekend because I just wanted to see my friends and get some catfish and, and some boudin and some gumbo. But lo and behold, we're in the flood, and I am in one of the worst locations that you could possibly be in. I am at a house that is on the river, only about a mile and a half away from the river, uh, and like many houses in, uh, like, like in Louisiana, it was on stilts. So the cars were on the bottom, the living space was on the, front, was on the top, and it's about six o'clock in the evening... And the the water has already met the foundation at the bottom of the house. It's about halfway up the the cars, about at the place of the door handles. And it's me, Joel, and another guy that lives there, Tyrone. Joel owns the house, and we are trying to figure out what to do next. Now, this is coming right off of the heels of when there was a big flood in Wimberley. So Dustin had me and Dustin had actually just driven through and kind of seen everything that happened, happened there. And that was fresh in my mind. And I was like, Joel, we have to leave right now. Like we we can't stay. We don't know what the case is gonna be. The the road is a lot higher. We can just like walk, it's gonna be like knee deep, and we can just walk to safety because we don't know what's gonna happen overnight. It's supposed to rain for like 48 more hours. And Joel is sitting up there, he's like, look, we have this little like flat bottom boat. Worst case scenario, we take the boat in the morning. I, th- I think we should stay. And we were having this fight. And this is really one of my big concerns. I was like, look, what's going to happen? We're going to have to be on the roof. We're going to have the signs, the safest signs. And then and the news is going to come. And, and the thing with the news is they don't retouch those photos. Like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be on the roof looking crusty, man. I, I was like, dude. There is not enough waterproof foundation in this house where, that matches my skin tone that I can put on so that we can look good look, up there. And, and they don't care about the angles that they shoot you at, like anything like that. I was like, no, we are not going down like that. So, Joel, it was his house, his boat. So, he decides uh, that, we're, that, that we are going to stay. So we all go to bed, and as foolish as we are, we don't set any alarms. We don't check through the middle of the night. But we are all awakened simultaneously by a sound off in the distance. We just hear. And I run to my door. And I, and I run outside. There's a wraparound balcony. And I, when we look outside, and it's Joel's neighbor. And they're doing the thing, the thing that I didn't want to do. They're outside. They're they're doing the helicopter thing. The helicopter's coming. The news is there. They're getting rescued the whole nine yards. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're next. We're next. We can't do this. So I run. I'm like, Joel, we have to leave right now. Tyrone comes flying from, from the second story. And he's like, Joel, can we leave right now? And Joel is in his kitchen, and this is still the wildest thing that I have ever seen. In a, a moment of distress like this, Joel looks at me and he says, yeah, we can go. But first, I got to drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> so Tyrone, hold me back. Hold me back, Tyrone. This man is playing with my life. So like, and from the, right, right there at that moment, I knew that, that I, could not, I could not be friends with millennials. I don't know if I've made another millennial friend from that point. I'm like, if, you, if you're 65 and up, that is my sweet spot right now. I'm like, man, come on. But like, I'm trying to hit some 199 Grand Slams at Denny's. I don't wanna to go to, I don't wanna go out on the square. I don't wanna go, go out to a restaurant. I wanna to go to a house party in Kissing Tree in the retirement community. <laughs> we're gonna shut it down about seven o'clock cause we had dinner at 4.30. These are the people that I need to be around because they are, they are built different. They know, they say some, They say some things. <laughs> they, they saw Nam go down. When I went millennials, I'm like, look, look, look. When we're in these types of situations, I don't wanna hear about oat milk. I don't wanna hear (laughs) about essential oils or systemic anything. The the system won't matter if we don't make it out of here. So luckily, we get on the boat. We pray because it was one of those situations like if we tip over, we're gonna die. Tyrone can't swear, like it was just a bad situation. This is a bad situation all around. And finally, one of the neighbors, one of the members of the Cajun Navy comes, and he dredges his boat up to him. I didn't know if that man was Jesus or Matthew McConaughey. I was so happy to see that white man. <laughs> he ties us up and takes us to safety. And it's something that Joel and myself look back and laugh about now. Uh, but what I realize is that the storms in life can often come at times when we least expect it. But they can often come and and leave us disoriented and leave things destroyed, and they come at the moments when we feel like we need them the least. So what we're going to do today really quickly is go through three passages of storms in the Bible. Now, each of these three passages are actually all identical. They're going to be the exact uh, same passage, but there is going to be some differences. I feel like it's important to, to point out. You are going to hear differences in this. This is because the writers of the gospel each had the interest, not necessarily for historical accuracy, number one, but to reveal the divinity of Jesus to their audience. So some of them write more to a Gentile audience and they're gonna uh, emphasize maybe the lordship of Christ that he is the coming king. Some are writing more to, to, Jew, to Jews and they're gonna uh, bring out the, the point that Jesus is the Messiah. But the important thing that, w- that we note here is that all of it is inspired, uh, and if you freak out, if you're like, I, don't, I can't reconcile with these differences, just email me directly at steve at sozosmtx.com. I will answer all of your questions there. So so I, I also love that it shows us that the vantage of, of, of these events are different, that all of us Um, experience trials and tribulations and storms differently. If I asked you about what your perspective on the pandemic was, all of us would say something different. Some people would say, man, the government got its hands on our personal lives. Some of us would say, it was a great great time. I never have to go work into an office ever again. That changed my life for the better. Some of us would say, like, I put some pounds on, and I don't know if they're going to come off. You know that's the difference? There's like soft pounds, like those come off when you stop drinking Coke and soda, and the hard pounds, and those aren't going anywhere anymore. Some of y'all are like, I got to put some hard ones on. So we're going to look at storms here so that we can uh, learn uh, how we can go through storms more graciously and partner with God in the midst of storms. So there's going to be three points today. We're going to start in John 6, verse 15. Now, all of, these, uh, all of these stories are going to come right off the heels of the feeding of the 5,000. So John 6, verse uh, 15 and 21, or through 21. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Soon a gal swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. They were terrified, but they called out to him. But he called out to them, do not be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him into the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. Just to retell this story a little bit, So the disciples are on the shore and they're waiting for Jesus. But what it says is that the night and that the darkness of night starts to creep in on them. Many of us have these moments in life where we have plans that we expect. We have vision. We have dreams from God. Maybe there's relationships that you are expecting to see restored. But then it starts to look like the sun is going to set on that expectation. Starts to look like, no, 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 maybe this is, this is going to be over. I can see it's growing more dim and more dark. And many of us, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, do exactly what the disciples say. Do. We sit there and we say, I was kind of expecting Got to show up, but since he's not, I guess I'm just going to go. You see, the the, the disciples uh, uh, had the exact same kind of tick that we have in life where they said, "I, I have some place that I need to go. There's something that I'm aspiring to. There's someone that I think I'm supposed to be. And ultimately, when it doesn't happen as quickly as I want, I might just have to bail on God and go get it myself. You see, point number one is that the storm, the storm will show you your patience. The storm will reveal your patience. Oftentimes in culture, we have such a a, a hunger, such a want, such a desire to arrive. Everyone loves arriving. Everyone loves showing up and, and making that next leap and making that next step. But the thing that I want you to notice about the disciples that I just think is mind-boggling is that their, their, their title are the disciples. Their whole entire relationship, their existence, their identity is tied to one thing. It's tied to the fact that they are followers of Jesus, that they are apprentices to Jesus, that they are people who are submitting their lives to Jesus. So what blows my mind when the disciples, was their only distinctive feature of them is that they're supposed to be with Jesus, leave Jesus. Like many of us, their destiny at that point was, "I'm going to get to the other side of this, of this uh, sea. But then what do you do? You arrived, but you don't have. The purpose anymore. You arrived, but you don't have the vision anymore. You you got there, but you don't know what's next. So it says that while they're on their way, the storm comes. I can imagine them all right now, rowing, struggling a little bit. I've been doing Orange Theory and I have to row for like 40 minutes a week. I know it. They're like legs, legs, back, arms. Yeah. It's like an order. And they're rowing. And then off in the distance, they see Jesus. What? Is that Jesus? They row a little slower, more awkwardly. Is that Jesus? And they see Jesus, and he, He's He's not running towards them, He's not floating, He's not flying, He's not hopping over the seas. He's, he's walking. And as they say, okay, well, well, well Jesus is, is about to show up. Um, and when we see He's, he's, he's on the way, what, what what should we do? And they look at each other and they say, Well. I guess you just have to wait. You see, you can either wait on the shore for Jesus to start the journey with you, or oftentimes we find ourselves waiting for his rescue. And Jesus is walking. That's consistent with his nature. You'll notice throughout all of scripture, Jesus never runs. He never even hits a light sprint. Not even just the, it doesn't say that. It ain't in the book. But I believe that Jesus always walks because he knows that wherever he is, that whenever he gets there, that God is with him, that he will always show up and that he will always have what he needs. It doesn't matter if Lazarus died three days ago I can walk over there and bring him back to life. It doesn't matter if your daughter is, 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 uh, is dead. I can walk over there and I even have time to heal a woman with the issue of blood and walk over there because I know that, 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 that God is going to show up and be there for me. You can be patient when you know that God is walking with you. You can be patient when you know that that God is with you and that he is going to show up. It's interesting because the disciples rushed because they didn't believe that God was going to show up. So the storm reveals our patience. Let's go ahead and turn to the second telling of this. Mark 16, sorry, Mark 6, 45 and 54. Again, this was right after the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of their lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. He intended to go past him. But when they saw him walking on water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat. No wind stopped. They were totally amazed. for They did not understand the significance of the miracles of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So the disciples get into the boat. The story is different in the sense that Jesus actually tells them to go. And oftentimes, you're smack dab in the middle of the will of God, and a storm pops up. The disciples find themselves in that situation, and, and I, I think that as they, they, they start rowing, they look at each other, and they realize that it's only going to get worse, and then, and then the guys with the most experience kind of take over. The fishermen are like, hey, we've been in this situation before, so what we all need to do is we need to row more. Let, 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 let's, let's all dig in, boys. We're, I'm going to guide you. Come on, let, let's, let's just uh, all just row a little bit harder and we're going to get out of this storm. The thing is oftentimes we get in situations and, 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 we, and we encounter the storm and instead of looking to the person of Jesus, we start to look back on our past experiences. We start to look, uh, we start to look at the places where we found strength. And we say, you know you know what? I've, act, I've done all this before. I know how to get through this. I know how to get out of this. It doesn't help the disciples. They only end up exhausted. And oftentimes when we're in storms, we're exhausted, we're frustrated, we're upset because we've been relying on our own strength. Now, now Jesus is actually watching them this entire time. When you're in this situation and you feel like, man, I am struggling, I am alone, he is not here, It said that Jesus was watching them. Not only that, but he was watching them and praying. It blows my mind that that the disciples didn't think to maybe call on the name of Jesus or didn't didn't think about the miraculous uh, nature of Jesus. Just moments ago, Just just hours ago, he did the biggest catering event of the season. 5,000 people. They're coming off of the hills of that experience, and they're looking, uh, and and they get into a situation, and instead of looking at Jesus, they look at their own strength. Look, I know a lot of times we we go through our relationships with God, And we think like, man, I really, uh, God moved on me these years, way back then, or he he moved on, on, on something, did something cool months ago. But much like the disciples, I want to encourage you that you don't have to look far to see the last time that God was moving in your life. That you don't have to look back months. You can only look back minutes and see that God's hand has been on your life. That you can just look up to this morning and see that God has been in doing things in your life. You can look back to this weekend that God has been working and moving in your life. That you don't have to lean on your own strength in these situations, that he is with you, that he is watching you, that he is moving and was moving just moments ago. This particular passage is so interesting because it says that Jesus walks out and that he intended to pass them by. Now, that exact uh, phrase is used elsewhere in Scripture, in Exodus 33, we see the story of Moses, and he gets into uh, into the crevice of a rock, and can, he says, "God, I want to see you." God said, "Okay, okay. Get into the crevice of this rock. I'm going to walk past you because you can't see all of me. I'm going to walk past you, and then uh, you can you can open up your eyes towards the in and you can see my backside." And you, and you will see my goodness. So Jesus, Jesus uh, does just that, and Moses sees just a glimpse of God. There's probably many of us in the room today who we feel like, man, I, I just, I, I, I see just glimpses of God. That 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 he, I, I think he's good, but, but, uh, but he seems distant. Moses, for all the intimacy he had with God, he he had this distance that were between them where he couldn't handle uh, the goodness of God, and he was just left with glimpses. And and many of us are in that spot today. But that is the wonderful thing that Jesus is trying to communicate in this particular passage, is that it says that Jesus intended to pass them by Hearkening back to that exact instance in Exodus, but the great thing about Jesus is that he does not pass them by. What he does is it says that he hears their cries and he turns around and gets inside of the boat. That the goodness of God wrapped in flesh has stopped and paused, turned his eyes to humanity and has gotten into the boat. That he has gotten into your situation. Jesus is telling his disciples right now, Jesus is telling the people of of Israel when they're hearing this, is that you don't have to settle for a glimpse of me, but I will step into your situation completely and that you will see the the goodness of of God through me, that you will see uh, the goodness of God up close and in person, that you will see the goodness of God intimately in your life. So the disciples come and they encounter God and he says that he had to do this because they did not understand what he did with the loaves. So the storms always reveal our perspective. The storms always reveal where we thought we were strong. They always reveal our broken concepts of God. Finally, in Matthew, a similar uh, telling of the story. As soon as I get my notes situated here. Matthew 14, We're going to start kind of right in the middle of the story. Matthew mostly repeats what Mark says, but he adds a specific nuance. Verse 27, Matthew 14. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to them, to him, Lord If it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Then they climbed back into the boat, and the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. After that, they crossed the lake. So to really understand this particular passage and what's going on, we actually have to look at the Bible as a whole. We have to kind of put on the ears of the first century followers of Jesus who would have been listening to this for all of their lives, for all of uh, uh, of their time, since the Bible uh, was written starting in, in Genesis, the picture of the sea was always meant to be an example of chaos. Genesis chapter 1, uh, it talks about the, there's the void, there's the chaotic void, and, G, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit is resting on it, and the narrative is that, is that God is, is, is going to um, bring order out of chaos. Uh, Jonah talked, writes about uh, the storm that, that, that he's in, and, and uh, th- when he's in the middle of that storm, everyone's like, oh my gosh, th- who has upset God that we have uh, endured this chaos? Job writes about uh, the Leviathan, uh, which the Leviathan was a, 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 um, almost a mythological character that represented chaos. You see, for, for these early listeners, they would say, rain rain is good, but the sea, the sea is untamable. The sea is chaotic. The sea is destructive. The sea will, will, will take you out. That, that the sea is the place uh, where, where, where uh, chaos rules and chaos reigns. So in this particular telling of the story we see Jesus and Jesus treads upon the chaotic, the chaotic sea he walks upon the destructive oceans he peaceably takes authority over the chaos Of life. That Jesus can walk over the chaotic waters, signaling that he's God because he has authority over the one thing that none of them have power over the chaos and the sin of life. That makes this story much more compelling when Jesus gets to the boat and talks to Peter. And Peter says, If you're really God, Tell me to come out there with you. What Peter is really asking is, would you share that same victory with me? Would you, would you give me that same bit of divinity that, that you have? Could, could I too be empowered to walk over the sin and the chaos Of the world. Many of us have chaotic situations that are happening in in life, and we're asking ourselves the same question Is, is, Is God, am I going to be a victim of the sea? Am I going to be a victim of the storm? Or will you share your power with me? Will you give me something so that I can walk over it and be a victor? And the answer to you today is the same answer that Jesus had for Peter. He says, yes, come. All who are burdened, all who are weary, come. I'll give it to you. I'll share it with you. You can do this too. That the chaos is not going to take you out. The destruction is not going to take you out. I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. Just come. And Peter like, like, like many of us, gets his eyes off of Jesus for a moment. He begins to fall. He begins to fade. Then it says that immediately Jesus grabbed him. He holds him, takes him by the hand and leads him back to safety. You see, whether you're someone who's in a situation where you're like, I've never trusted in the person of Jesus. I've never, uh, I've, I've never been able to overcome. Jesus says, come. And maybe you're someone who said, man, my eyes were on Jesus for this situation, but if I'm honest with you, my eyes have kind of gotten off of Jesus. I'm kind of I'm fallen now. I'm kind of fading. I feel like I'm drowning I feel like I like like my my life is flashing before my eyes. Let Jesus grab you. It says immediately, immediately He is willing, and able to grab you and to pick you up and to bring you back home. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes right now. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Whether it's your impatience, whether it's your perspective, or whether it's my last point, which I forgot, that Jesus, this storm reveals the promise of God, that he is always going to be there. He's always willing to share his power with you. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us. Uh, Ray is going to lead us in, in worship. The prayer team can go ahead and come up. If you have any needs at all, if you, if you have any, uh, anything that you, that you like prayer for, come up. Our team would love to pray for you. So I'm going to pray right now. We'll all stand up, if you need prayer, come forth. If not, Ray's gonna lead us in worship. But Lord God, we love you, Jesus. We are thankful that you are good. We are thankful that you get into the boat with us. We are are thankful that you hear our cries and that you turn around. We are thankful that your arms are outstretched and that you will immediately grab us when we are falling. We give our lives to you. We put our focus back on you. We return our sight to you, Jesus. Continue to change us and form us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.